Hope you're glad to be in the house of the Lord today. It's been a, it's been a good morning um, already, and, and uh, we, have, we have plenty to be thankful for. We have plenty to be praying for, so let's, um, let's, let's do both of those. Let's, 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 let's pray in Thanksgiving, and let's pray for those that need it. Um, one, other, uh, one other quick announcement um, for today is we do have a new members luncheon. Today, so if you're if you've signed up for that and and we're planning on coming to that, we're having new members luncheon today right here, room 110, um, down the hall immediately following the service. And even if you didn't sign up, but you're interested and want to know kind of what's going on and what it takes to be a member, this, this doesn't sign you up to be a member. It's just the information uh, that you have so that you can make an, an educated decision on that. You're welcome to come as, as well. So we'll feed you again, right, room 110, right down the hall here after, after the service. And then I, I, I hope you're planning on coming for Reach Conference. I uh, hope you have set that aside just three nights, um, all day Sunday, but then uh, Monday night and Tuesday night, so just three days uh, encompassing the, the entire conference. And so I hope you've set that aside, and, and we've been talking uh, for a few weeks now, but, but we're, we're taking up a special offering uh, at the end of the REACH conference. And so on Tuesday night, we'll be taking up a special offering um, to, in, in honor of Mark Trotter and, 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 and his heart to, um, to train pastors. And so we're, we're, gonna, we're taking up an offering to, to do just that. And so, you know, that whole conference will be focused on the, the continent of Africa. Obviously, that's where Mark's heart was and, and ministry was in Malawi. And, and we're looking to do some things there. We don't have anything uh, concrete yet, but we're looking to, to continue to train pastors there. And then we do have an immediate opportunity in, in Hungary um, using Mark's material and that sort of thing. So we have a goal to raise $100,000, and I know that sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. Um, and at the same time, man, God's, God's blessed us, and, and uh, what, what better way to spend our money than training pastors who are then going to go take that um, and, and take God's word you know, to their villages and their churches and, and just spread it out throughout the world. So be praying about that and, 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 and participate with us. Participate in attendance, be here, um, and then participate with us in that offering. Uh, God, will, God will bless that, um, I promise you. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're in week number 3 of, of this new series that we recently started titled Passion for the Mission. It's our verse-by-verse study going through the book of Acts, and we, we did an introduction a, a couple weeks ago, and then we really kicked it off last week, kicked off chapter 1, and looked at the first five verses of chapter 1 last week, and, and what we saw in those verses was Jesus passing the baton to his apostles. <clears throat> he was getting ready to leave the earth physically, we're actually going to see that today, and, and so he was leaving the job for his apostles to do. It's a job that still continues on with us today. <coughs> Excuse me. So the work wasn't done, and in fact, it was just beginning. The work was just beginning. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but, but to really comprehend all this, we do have to understand all the aspects of Jesus' work. So Jesus had work to train his disciples and he did that, and he finished that work. He, t- he says that in John 17. Jesus had a work to die for the world, for the sins of the world. as a perfect sacrifice. He finished that. He said that in John 19.30, his last words on the cross. He says, it is finished. But then there was a work to then get that message to the world that he passed on, right, that he couldn't do as he was going back to, to be with his father. And he passed that work on to his disciples. And of, of getting that message, the message of a Savior to the world, and that message was starting in Jerusalem with the Jews, but eventually extending out beyond that ultimately to the uttermost, to the entire Gentile world. And, and what we're going to see in our text this morning is, is more specifics on how to fulfill that work. We're, we're going to just look very simply at some keys to fulfilling the work. And this morning's message will, will be a little workmanlike. Um, it, we're just going to really see some very practical nuts and bolts. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some doctrinal things and, and, and not, not too, too much. We're not going to dive too deep into that. But there might be times that if, if you're new here, if you're a new Christian, you, you know, you might 
you might not track with me 100%. I'll try, to, I'll try to keep you up to speed. But again, we talked about this in the introduction. If you don't follow along, it's okay. Man, just listen. Just take it in and keep coming. And I promise God's going to begin to reveal things more to you over and over through time. So what we're going to see today comes off of what we talked about last week. We ended last week talking about the resourcing that Jesus gave to his disciples. Resourcing that, by the way, we have today as well. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have the same resources available to you that those original apostles had available to them. Now, some of it is, is displayed a little bit differently, but the Holy Spirit is inside us, and, and, and we have some training from God's Word, and we have an, a, a salvation experience, if you're a believer, that we can use then to get this message out to the world. So we have the same resources available, but, but, but as I look at Christianity today, I, I see that not every Christian is getting the work done. In fact, I'd venture to say that actually few are getting the work done. Now, in a good church like ours, I believe the percentage is higher than other churches, but, but we don't have anything to brag about either. We're not at 100%, that's for sure. So what that tells me is the availability of the resources is not enough. Just because resources are available, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to use them. You see, there's a mindset that we have to have as well. There's an understanding that we have to have to be able to then go out and put feet to the ground and live out the mission of God, to live out the work that he has given to us. I mentioned that last week a little bit in the introduction. I used the example of the bricklayers, right? Three guys doing the exact same job, but they all viewed it very differently. Because perspective matters, and mindset matters, and understanding matters. And that's a biblical principle that permeates every aspect of our life. Many of you are familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, but as a reminder, Paul says in those verses, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, our battle in this life begins in those you know, six inches or so between our ears. And that's why the Bible constantly talks about how we need to be careful about what we think and how we think. And instead of thinking with our fleshly, carnal, or natural mind, the Bible instructs us to renew our mind so that we can think with the mind of Christ, we can put on his mind. So if, if, if you are maybe, you know, in a state in your life or have been in the past in a state of your life where you really weren't walking with the Lord and weren't following with the Lord, did you ever wonder why the ways of the Bible made no sense to you at all? Or on the flip side of that, maybe you're a Christian and, and you're trying to help somebody, you're discipling somebody or you're counseling somebody. And they just can't seem to get it. And it makes perfect sense to you. The Bible is as clear as day. But for whatever reason, the person that you're talking to can't see it. And it doesn't click. And they don't get it. You know why that is? You know, you know why that happens? It's actually, the answer is very easy. It's because the two of you are thinking with two different minds. And you've put on the mind of Christ and, and, and thinking through the mind that God gives us in his word. And the other person is thinking through the mind of the natural man. And 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They're only understood, they're only discerned spiritually through the Spirit of God. And the natural man in that context is a lost man, someone who is not a Christian. But unfortunately, there are many saved people who are still using the mind of and living according to the natural man. And God will let you do that if you refuse to renew your mind with his word. 
So how we think and with which mind we think is so important, and it's so important to the work that God's given us to do. And that's what we're going to see today as we examine these keys to fulfilling the work. Even given the resources that those apostles had, they still needed to understand some things biblically before they were able to turn the world upside down. They needed God's mind on the situation in which they found themselves. And we absolutely do too. We have a work to do. Can we all agree on that? All right. We have a race to run. We have a course to finish. We have a city to turn upside down. So let's make sure we understand what we need to understand in order to do all that to God's glory. So we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11 this morning. And as we get into our text, we find the remaining 11 apostles together. Right, So Judas is gone, and we have 11 remaining apostles. They're all together, and Jesus is with them this one final time on earth physically. And he just told them about the work. He had passed the baton, but also told them before they get started, they needed to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. So they have a question for him, and that's where we pick it up in verse 6. The Bible says, and when they, the apostles, when they therefore were come together... They ask of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. All right, that's our text for this morning. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to to enlighten our eyes to all that he has for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful to be here today, and and, uh, we're thankful uh, to be a part of of your family. Uh, we're thankful to be a part of a church, Lord, that, that does have some understanding of things, and, and yet, Lord, we need more, and we need you to enlighten our eyes today. Lord, we need you to speak today. Lord, I pray that you move me out of the way completely, that your spirit speaks clearly and authoritatively, and Lord, you can speak into our hearts individually and what, where we're all at and what we all need, and so I ask you to do that today, Lord. I pray that that all that said is true to your word. I pray that um, it's glorifying to you. And, and Lord, I pray that, again, you use it in our life to motivate us, to challenge us, to be involved in the work that you've called us to. Lord, we love you, and, and we're so thankful for the opportunity we have just to, just to hear your word. We love, we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is really, it's really an incredible part of, of Scripture that we have today. And just to, just to give you kind of a quick rundown, it starts with this interesting question from the apostles, which elicits kind of a non-answer from Jesus. We'll talk about that. And, and then with his last words before leaving, we get the key verse, I think probably undoubtedly the most popular verse in the book of Acts. That's verse 8. And then we get to see the, the actual ascension of Christ. And there's not much written on that for such a major event, but it's, but it's found here. There's a ton jammed into these verses that we're going to study this morning, and, and there's a lot of different directions we could go, and there is a lot of doctrine that we could cover. Well, we will talk about some. I, I mentioned that earlier, but, but as I told you in the introduction to the book, we're, we're primarily looking at this series from a devotional aspect, so I, I want you to catch the importance of these major events for yourself, these are, these are all major happenings, major things. Like the last words that Jesus says, you know, while on this earth for the first time, they're, they're pretty important. His actual ascension, that's a pretty big deal. And so I want you to, to see the right mindset. I want you to see God's mind for ministry and the work that he's turning over to these apostles. There were some things that they needed to understand, and there's some things that we need to understand. And, and this is where it starts. When it comes to finishing the job and fulfilling the work that Jesus passed on to those apostles and has been passed down to us, we need to understand the mission. We need to understand the mission. Okay, this seems very simple. You're like, okay, I think, I think we got, okay, check mark. I got it. Let's move on to the next one. Well, hold on. 
I'm not, it's not, I don't think it is quite as simple as it seems. Because as simple as it sounds, I believe it sometimes it's easy to lose track of what the work actually is that God wants us to accomplish. And I say that because Jesus had spent three and a half years with his disciples investing in them. And then specifically after his death and, and resurrection, he had spent 40 days Speaking to them, and I don't know if you remember, we talked about this last week. There was a very specific phrase in there. He was speaking to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And that's an important sentence. And I told you last week that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and not a physical kingdom. And, and we go through this in MTT, um, and, and many of you are aware, so give you just a very kind of very quick 40,000 level view. The Bible talks about two separate kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. You see those different phrases in the Bible, and, and they're different, and they have, they have different meanings. The, the kingdom of God is the spiritual kingdom that God wants to instill in man, and the kingdom of heaven is God bringing heaven down to earth in a physical way, and that's more related to Israel. It's more related to, to physical land. But you see both of those phrases in the Bible. You know, I mean, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? There's a more physical emphasis on one. There's a more spiritual emphasis in the other. And the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Romans 14, 17 says, we looked at this last week, but it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is inside of people. And it has to do with spiritual things concerning heaven and eternity it's populated by spiritual beings, including us, because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21 says, And when he had demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. It's not here, it's not over there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And again, that's in contrast to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven refers to a physical kingdom where Jesus Christ, as king, will rule over the earth physically with Israel as the head of the nations. And that's what had been promised to the nation of Israel. So the Jews, they were looking for a political and a military ruler to lead them out of the grip of the Romans. Yet when Jesus came... He offered them a spiritual kingdom first. And they didn't understand that part of it. And even though he had been explaining it to them, he had been teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God, when they get to Acts 1.6, they still weren't quite putting it all together. So look there again. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. And he said unto them, Is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. You see, they were just a little confused. And it was reasonable for them to be confused. Jesus had opened their understanding to the Old Testament. He had showed them all that it pointed to him. They knew the Old Testament before even Jesus had come. They, they didn't understand it like they did after he explained how he was all throughout it. But they knew the Old Testament, and so they were all about it. There was no doubt in their minds that Jesus was the Messiah and therefore the King. They believed the promise of Daniel 2.44 that says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And they were like, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. See, what they didn't fully understand yet, but they were going to get insight on in verse 11, is they didn't really quite understand the second coming. He was there with them now at the first coming. They didn't quite get everything about the second coming. They just knew that Jesus was king, and they knew that there was a promised kingdom, but they, they couldn't see into the future. And even though he had told them, they didn't fully understand that he was going to be gone for a while and come back again. So the, the question wasn't a bad one. It was a logical one. But getting back to our point, here's what you need to understand. The apostles were still confused about the mission. And they needed to clearly understand what they were supposed to do with the baton. 
So Jesus tells them in verse 8, right, he doesn't answer their question. He didn't tell them no. He didn't answer their question. He just says, that, that, that's not for you to know right now. He says in verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. But listen, this didn't even really clear things up for them right away. Because this wasn't exactly new revelation for the apostles. It was always known that the Gentiles would share in the kingdom blessings of Israel and that Israel would be witnesses of their king. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 12 says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. They, were, they knew that. And they knew that at, eventually their witness would extend beyond Israel. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. That the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. So they understood this part of the job. They just couldn't get past the physical. And they couldn't get past him being there now with them. And they were looking for a physical kingdom on earth, not a spiritual kingdom in man. They were looking to be witnesses to that physical kingdom. And listen, the truth is it could have been that. Jesus didn't deny it was coming. It's just a matter of timing. And the problem was that Israel was still unrepentant. and still Christ rejecting. And Jesus was waiting because he was giving them one more chance. And so his answer was just wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And once you've been endued with that power, go be my witnesses. But you need to start by focusing on the spiritual more than the physical. And Jesus was trying, there was some foreshadowing in there and all sorts of things, but he was trying to get them to understand the mission. Now I say all that, and I know, again, some of that might have, you know, been bouncing around in, in your brain. And you'd be like, hmm, I'm not sure where he's at there. Okay, it's, it's okay. Let me, let me bring this together and let me compare this to today. Because I think many Christians can't quite put it all together today either. Even though the mission is quite simple, the mission of Acts 1-8 is for us as well. It goes right along with the great commission of Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Most of you know it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. Amen. All right, we know that. That's the great commission. Now, now let me give you a little, another little, little side note here for for your Bible study students. And again, if what I say next doesn't make sense, it's okay. Keep coming and keep learning. But here's the interesting thing. We can only apply those verses to us because we know what happens in Acts 7. <laughs> but since we do know, we certainly can and should make the application to us spiritually. We can make Jerusalem our city, and we can make Judea our country, and we can make Samaria neighboring countries, and we can make the, uh, uh, the uttermost the rest of the world. And to limit the scripture of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and Acts 1-8 to a strictly doctrinal application only, is to wrongly dissect the word of truth, and it makes you a hyper-dispensationalist. So don't do that. If that made sense to you, great. If it didn't, it's okay. We're going to get back. We're going to bring us back. What should make sense to you is that we too misunderstand the mission at times. And while most of us know that it's very simply making disciples by being a witness of Jesus Christ, sometimes in this, the course of busyness, in the course of life, we lose track of it. Or that intellectual knowledge never makes its way to our heart and therefore never changes the way we live. So for some, if, we're, if people were to look at, at, at your life or others' life, they would think that, that the mission is to build a career or to create a good life for your family. Or maybe it's more spiritual than secular, but it doesn't extend beyond going to church or just being a member of First Baptist Church. 
the, the mission isn't going to church. The mission is making disciples. Or for some, maybe their mission is to feed the poor and to help the homeless get on their feet, to be the hands and feet of Jesus across this town and across this world. And listen, that is very noble. It is a good thing to do. But can I also tell you that Jesus carries himself just fine? What he has asked us to do is be his witness because if you help the poor and, and homeless, if, if, that, if your help for them ends with food or money or shelter and it doesn't extend to the gospel, then you're nowhere near the mission. So listen, if any of this describes you, you just need to come to grips with and fully understand our mission. And again, according to Acts 1.8, that simply involves us being a witness That's what God is calling you to be. It's what God is calling me to be. And you should take comfort in that. Because listen, the mission isn't to be a theologian. You're to be a witness. The mission isn't even to become a pastor or a missionary in a foreign country. Or even lead a Bible study. Now maybe that is part of God's plan for some of you. And if it is, you should be obedient to that plan that God has revealed to you. But that's not the mission. Pastors and foreign missionaries are few. Bible study leaders are few. Every Christian can and is to be a witness. And you say, well, what's a witness in this context? Well, it's exactly what you think it is. A witness is somebody who saw something, heard something, or felt something, and then tell others about it. They recount their story. That's exactly how 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 defines it. This is how John defines it for us. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. They were witnesses to Jesus, and they're saying, no, listen, we heard him talk, we saw him work, we put our hands on him, and he's the real deal. That's all a witness is. It means you have a true story to tell, and it's so important you can't keep it to yourself. That's what Peter knew, 2 Peter 1.16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And because of that, Peter is still telling his story to this day as we read his epistles. So let me ask you, when it comes to Jesus, do you have a story to tell? Have you been a witness to his majesty? Personally, do you have, it, have you been a witness to his saving grace. Well, if so, then why don't you talk about it? Because listen, there's really only one thing it takes to be a good witness. So the the question isn't whether you're supposed to be a witness or not. We are. The question is whether you're going to be a good witness or not. And it really only takes one thing to be a good witness. You just have to remember. Do you remember what happened to you? Can you recount the story? Do you remember how God changed you? You should, because Psalm 111 verse 4 says, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. God gives us warning to not forget. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. You see, if you forget, the consequences extend beyond you. They extend to your family, to your children, and even to your grandchildren. So be a witness for Jesus. Be quick to talk about him. And his role in your life. Not only how he saved you, but what he's doing today. 
But listen, if you don't have a story to tell, why don't you get saved today? Why don't you make today the day that you, you can now become a witness for him? He'll change your life. You'll never be the same if you'll just give yourself to him. And you can be about the mission with us. Or maybe you were saved and you can be a witness to that, but that's it. You have nothing else to tell because he's not worked in your life beyond that. Well, if that's you, get involved today. Sign up for discipleship today. Begin to see and feel him work again. It's a wonderful thing, man, I promise you. So in order to fulfill the work, we've got to have to understand the mission. We've got to understand what he's called us to do. And listen, we don't get to define the mission ourselves or, or, or serve God the way that feels right to us. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. We have to do it the way God's word says. And, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't be a part of other good things. Just understand what the mission is. And make sure you're a part of that too. We need God's mind. But there's a second key to fulfilling the work that we see in Acts 1. And that is we need to understand the miracle. We need to understand the miracle. And the miracle is the ascension. Look at verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And this, again, was something that the, the disciples still didn't fully grasp because they, you know, they were still looking for that restoration of the kingdom then that requires the king being present. And they didn't fully grasp that he had to go, even though Jesus had already told them that it was going to happen. And listen, not only that, not only did he tell them it was going to happen, he told them it had to happen. This had to happen because it was part of the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, if Jesus didn't leave, the Holy Spirit would not have come. And that certainly would have had ramifications on those apostles, and that would have ramifications on us. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So you see, the ascension of Jesus Christ was necessary. Because without the Holy Spirit, the apostles would not have been able to accomplish the mission, and neither would we. That's why Jesus instructed on them to wait on him to come. And, but he now indwells us, so we have his power inside us. But listen... We can't take this miracle for granted. So first of all, just very simply, you need to know the ascension of Jesus Christ is a biblical fact. The biblical fact. It's not some make-believe story. It happened. It's obviously recorded here in Acts chapter 1. It was also recorded at the end of Luke's gospel. Luke 24, verses 50 through 52 says, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. But Luke wasn't the only one to write about it. Mark wrote about it as well. Mark 16, 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Paul references it many times. Peter, John, they all reference it. It is a fact that it happened. And it's a necessary fact. Because now he's at the right hand of his God, right hand of his Father, playing a very important role. And this is what we need to understand. So we need to understand the miracle, but we need to understand it for a specific reason. We need to understand what's happened. Because the understanding of what he's doing is what should give us the strength to push through and continue to serve him even when times get tough. Because listen, Jesus is not doing nothing up there. No, you know what? He is still working for us. His work continues. It wasn't only related to preparing his disciples, and it wasn't only related to dying on the cross. That man is still working. That God is still working. Every day he's hustling. For you and for me. And for all that are his, 
Listen, Jesus has never stopped loving and giving, and he's never stopped working. So neither should we. The Bible says that even now, A, he's preparing a place for us. He's working on the home for those that are his. John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. So that's part of his work in heaven now. He's preparing a place, but that's not all. He's also interceding on our behalf. He knows all that you are going through. And he knows all that you need. And he's there for you. He's interceding to God the Father on our behalf. Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. See, that miracle was an important one. And one you need to understand, because if you don't know he's interceding for you, you're going to feel alone when you go through the struggles of this life. But you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit in you here, here with you, and you have Jesus in heaven interceding for you. You have representation both here on earth and in heaven. Don't forget that. Believe it and draw encouragement from it, encouragement to keep pushing forward in the work. We have a high priest that knows all that we're going through. Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we, we are, yet without sin. That's who is ministering and advocating and mediating on your behalf and on my behalf. What a tremendous blessing and privilege that is. But when we lose sight of it and don't grasp all the truth related to his ascension, our perspective gets skewed. And we get self-absorbed, self-centered. We can begin to start feeling sorry for ourselves and think that nobody knows and even worse, nobody cares. It's just not true. It was absolutely false according to the Bible. And if you want to fulfill the work that God has given you, then you just have to believe what the Bible says is true. And then live out your life according to it, even when you don't feel it. Because I, I fully recognize there are times in all of our lives, myself included, that this doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel like he knows or it doesn't feel like he cares. That's not what the Bible says. So you can't believe your feelings. You've got to believe the Bible. So understand this miracle. It's, a, it's really important. But there's one more key to fulfilling the work that the Lord has given us to fulfill on this earth. And that's we need to understand the motivation. And the motivation is twofold. We see the first one here in, in verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1. And, and here's what it is. He's coming back. He, he ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of his father. But he's coming back. Look at verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall, come, shall, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And listen, there are a ton in these verses, including who these two men might be. Could they be Moses and Elijah? Well, they certainly could be. 
They don't have to be. It could just be two angels. Personally, I don't think it's a coincidence that Moses and Elijah are called the two witnesses in Revelation 11.3, given the importance of that same word here in this, this section of Scripture, but we don't have time to do that full study. You can run that on your own. But whoever these guys were, they had an important message to deliver, an important message to give to the apostles. And the message was, why are you looking up like you'll never see him again? I mean, that dude's coming back one of these days in full power and in full victory. And when he does, that kingdom you're looking for is going to roll out. Now, they didn't say that last part, but that's true. But the focus here was, go serve him now because he's coming back. He's going to come back for you one day. So go be those witnesses now. And for the Jews, which is the immediate context of Acts chapter 1, that return will be at his second coming. There is coming a day where Jesus is coming back down through those clouds in like manner and will land his feet on the Mount of Olives and will rule once and for all as the king of kings. He will come back to save Israel once and for all. And that was to be used as motivation in the mission. And I just love the wording in verse 11, starting with the phrase, this same Jesus. Do you like that? Because I love it. Listen, it won't be a different Jesus. It'll be the same one. The last 2,000 years haven't changed Jesus one bit. So when he returns, it'll be in the same glorified body that those disciples touched. The same one that stood with them by the Sea of Galilee and ate breakfast. The same glorified body that Thomas saw and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus hasn't changed. Never. He's the same. Today, forever. He's always the same. So right now, it's the same Jesus that's at the right hand of the Father. It's no wonder why he can feel what we feel. But when he does come back, listen, it's not going to be a different Jesus, and this is important because there have been a lot of false Christs throughout the years. The real one's coming back. The real Jesus Christ is going to stand up, and he's going to return, and he's going to save and restore Israel, and he's going to establish his kingdom. It's, it's all happening. It's all fact. You can read about it in great detail in Revelation 19, plus all throughout the Old Testament. There are so many prophecies that point to this second coming of Jesus Christ. But there's an application for us too. Because he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church one day also. And, th and that is what's known as the rapture. And the rapture is different than the second coming. The rapture happens before and he doesn't land on earth. The, the tribulation is between the rapture and the second coming. The, the rapture kicks it off and the second coming ends it. And we're going to meet him in the clouds according to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, this should serve as motivation for us too. Paul says as much in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, when referring to the judgment seat of Christ, as our, our judgment, the, the judgment we will receive for whether we did the work or not, right? Whether we lived out the mission or not. In verse 9, Paul says, Wherefore we labor, we work, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We motivate men. But we're made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. I think those verses describe some things that should motivate us to fulfill the work and yet, for many, they don't. I don't know why. I, I, I can only conclude that they don't believe it's true. They, they don't think it's going to happen. Or they don't think it's going to be that bad. I guess they think the few years on this earth are more important than the thousand years to come in the millennium. 
This vapor of a life, as the Bible calls it, I guess it means more than eternity. I don't know. All I know is there are some things they don't understand. They don't understand what they need to understand to be motivated to serve him with their life. And they certainly don't understand the ramification of him coming back. But there's another side of this motivation that they don't understand. Because not only is he coming back, second, this is very simple. He deserves worship. He just deserves it. He deserves to be worshipped. Really, I think this should be the foremost motivation for our service. Just because he deserves it. And I get this point from the Luke account of the ascension. We read it earlier, but look at it one more time. Luke 24, verses 50 through 52. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You see, their immediate response to what they just saw was to worship him. And listen, they worshipped him after he was gone. Just like today. And their worship of him brought them great joy. How awesome is that, man? God works everything out for our good. It is so true. But that means we just need to get to work for him just because he is worthy of our work. He is worthy of our worship. And, and we've talked a lot about a worship around here over the past year or so. It was even the topic of our Certainty Conference last fall. But what we need to understand most is that worship is, is what the Lord desires most from us. And, and we, we, we live it out in, in sacrificial obedience. That's how we worship him. Look at what Jesus said in John 4, 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That's what he's seeking today. But what we need to get from that verse is if there are true worshipers, that means there are fake worshipers. And fake worshipers aren't motivated to worship and to work for the Lord. They're motivated to worship themselves. And they're motivated by what they can get from the Lord instead of what they can give to the Lord. But we worship the Lord the best and most fully by serving him sacrificially. By taking the baton and running with it. It's being that living sacrifice of Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, which it says is reasonable to do, by the way. So do you understand that motivation? Because if you don't, then you'll never fulfill the work. You'll drop the baton. The things will get hard. And, and here's what you'll think. You'll think, you know what? It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the pain. It's not worth the struggle. It's not worth what I have to go through. It's not worth what my family goes through. This life, sacrificially giving to the Lord, is not worth it. And what you're saying is he is not worth it. That he is not worthy of that. You need to think about those words. Think about what you're saying to him. If you're saying that he is not worth it, that you're saying that you are more important than what you feel is more, has higher elevation in your mind than what he has said. Because ultimately you are the God of your life. There's no other conclusion to that. But the Bible says he is worth it. And he's worthy of our worship, but we need to understand it. We need to understand the motivation, especially when those times get hard. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, pretending like there aren't real hard things to go through. There absolutely are, just like he did, just like he had to go through. But you have to determine, 
You have to determine what, what you're willing to give, what you're willing to do, and, and, and what is worthy in your minds. And it starts with understanding the mission. It starts with having the right mindset about the mission and what it is that God has called us to do. There's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of good things to be a part of. Parading is the mission of God, but they're not. And our enemy would be just fine if all of us invested our time in good things. As long as we aren't making disciples. As long as we're not being a witness of Jesus. So don't be fooled by that. And then understand, get God's mind on the miracle of the ascension. We now have the Holy Spirit because of it. And we have an advocate in heaven. What a privilege that is. And then last, understand the motivation. Do you believe what the Bible says, that the Lord's coming back? Uh, people say, well, listen, people have been saying that for a long time. Okay. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right, they have. And the Bible still says it. So I still believe it. But if we do live, believe it, we should live like it. And you should worship him because of who he is. Because of what he did. Because of his sacrifice. And that worship is displayed in obedience to him. Laying your life down on the altar is that living sacrifice. But listen, if we get it, if we get that mindset, if we understand what it is that God wants us to understand, and we get God's mind on all this, we'll finish the course. We'll fulfill the work that we've been given. All to his glory. Let's be about that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And, and again, as you're just settling your hearts and your mind, I just ask you to consider what God has shown you through his word this morning, if he's shown you anything. And if he has shown you something, just act upon it. Just take the time. Don't let it pass you. Listen, I, you know, I, I, say, I say all the time, God... God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, 20th chances, whatever. And praise the Lord for that. But there, there's always a last chance. And we don't know when that last chance is. So your last chance may be today. I don't know. And I'm not even trying to scare you by saying it. That's just the truth. So don't let this chance pass. If you need to get saved, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's never been a time that that you have in faith, placed your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, do that today, do that this morning. And if you have any questions about that, if you don't know what that means, you need someone to explain that to you, man, come talk to us. You can come up during this song, we'll find you, and we'll have someone sit down with a Bible and show you what it means to become a son of God. Make today the day of salvation. And if you are saved, but you're not living for Christ, don't let this day pass. Commit to, to worshiping him for who he is because he's worthy of it. Be about the work. Take the baton and run. Don't drop it.